Well, welcome tonight. This is uh, Pastor Kevin Kello, Kevin L. Kello, and uh, my wife, Judith Diane, who is watching our grandbaby uh, today, and she's not with me, but we welcome all the others that have come to attend and learn the Bible and learn grace, and we welcome you into the fellowship of uh, Bible study, and we also want to welcome a new reverend and his wife, Reverend Jack and Ann Beckman of Full Gospel Lighthouse. Now, it's either the one in Connecticut or there's one up uh, down Lowell Bethsaida Road that was started decades ago by Ronald Harris. I'm not certain which is which, but if Brother Beckman could let me know, uh, I want to be correct. I want to get it right. So... Um, we welcome you all. Uh, we have Raymond D. and Ann B. Burroughs, uh, also down in the Taylor, South Carolina area, happily newlyweds, uh, like Beth and Joel, who are uh, happily uh, joined together in holy matrimony. Mr. and Miss Phillips are attending tonight, and we are privileged to have them uh, in our presence. So. Uh, as well, if we moved up uh, 321 North, we have uh, the Whites are here, and uh, uh, Alex and uh, his mom, Michelle, and uh, Miss Leanne is back with us from her uh, running from birthday to birthday. I hope Miss Paula had a wonderful birthday. It looked good. Um, also, up the road uh, at Reflections of Christ, we have Robert and Rita Mitchell. Uh, and they are fine people, and I've been allowed by grace uh, to teach a second Wednesday uh, Bible study every month so far, as long as they can tolerate yours truly. Uh, they're having me come. So, uh, and then further up north, if we really get to scooting, we'll go up to the campuses of Redeeming Life Church and Ministry. Uh, Brother Pat Hayes is traveled down to Alabama way to be in a camp meeting there. But James and Sheila Potter and their four sons, uh, there was a, a minister in the Bible that had four daughters, which did prophesy. But Brother James has four sons that are definitely born again and filled with the Holy Ghost and working in ministry. And I don't know a lot of the people who have four actively participating, functioning, born-again Holy Ghost-filled young men in church. So kudos to he and Sheila, and I hope they get to hear this message. Then if we travel west and start busting it towards Kansas City in hopes of California, we will run into, after Knoxville, Tennessee, a place called Pelham, Tennessee, where we have Roy and Amanda Wood at the Refuge Church. Apparently you can go there and find some safety. Uh, but knowing that the Lord is our real refuge, uh, He's our real safety. So um, we, welcome, we welcome Full Gospel Lighthouse. I hope you get to hear this message. And thank you for the feedback by email. We'll continue to communicate that way. We may even upgrade the phone numbers one day. Who knows? Wow. Uh, it's, it's, it's a warm relationship right now, but we could take a few degrees warmer. would be good with me. But nevertheless, uh, we welcome you here tonight. I hope you feel joy. I feel the 
uh, from the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, yes. Not just the gift of tongues, which I have prayed in today, uh, so be calm. Uh, but hopefully uh, I can articulate five uh, uh, words with my known voice in the spirit of edification that I can articulate rightly uh, what the yieldedness to praying and being built up in the most holy faith when I do pray in the Holy Ghost. Maybe I can reflect that with my known tongue tonight, which is my hope, that the good Lord would anoint me and uh, as He's chosen me as a vessel to enter into the priesthood that I should represent uh, not just God to the people, but the people back to God. And that's what we want to continue to look at from our Sunday sermon. We saw that in chapter 7, verse 23, that Levi and his ilk uh, had been chosen by man, and they could not continue by reason of death, which is very confusing for some because... Even those that are in Christ, we are still dying, but we are not dead. The Bible says we go to sleep. So in the days of Levi, they were not continued on as a continuing priesthood because of the humanity, and at that time there was no resurrection. No resurrection, which is very important. God is using the default, the drawing back the failure of the Sinai Covenant. And what came from that is a law. And that law became a schoolmaster. Something that should have been pointing us and teaching us to Christ. Now at that time, the Levitical priesthood had a certain service on the face of the earth. And that was mostly killing. They did a lot of killing. Uh, when Moses had come down off the mountain, the rest of the tribe of Levi joined him, and because of the golden calf that they had taken from the earrings and the bracelets and the reparations that they had received from the Egyptians, they had turned that into an idol, and Moses broke the commandment, and his brethren of Levi joined in with him and then they went amongst their own nation, their own friends, and 3,000 people were killed that night uh, for their sin and adultery. The commandment is broken. Moses goes back up the mountain, and check this out, another 40 days and 40 nights. It doesn't say if he stopped in and got a Big Mac or a double cheeseburger or a, 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 a vitamin protein shake. It said that right off of a 40-day, 40-night fast, he went right back up again, reloaded, and another 40 days and 40 nights got peeled off. Whoa! God had to be with that guy. Uh, 40 days is tough as it is. Uh, but to go 80 days, and, you know, uh, I think in between there, he would have at least needed a Snickers bar or something. He might not exactly been himself. But anyway, God was not exactly pleased with Moses. And this time, Moses had to cut the stone out. And Moses had to chisel the words in the tablets of stone because he had broken the first ones that had been cut out 
written by God. So we're going to look at tonight why Moses couldn't have been a Messiah because he wasn't resurrected. At the age of 120, uh, the Bible said the Lord took him. And no one of that time, while God was establishing from the first couple in the first family, Adam, he and his wife, she had the same name he did until sin gave her a separate identity. That God had began the doctrine in the motive of substitution. Everybody say substitution. So you don't have to die. Something will die in your place. Something will cover you. Now from substitutionalism, for all you theologians who want that in your pillar of soteriology because they're so high-minded, educated, and so knowledgeable, also comes the idea of representationalism. God is now representing an idea that will be inculcated down through mankind from the beginning of time, however you want to look at it. Even those who are presently living up on the outskirts of Alaska in a subsistence lifestyle, you can see that if they're in season and it's time to go for a hunt and they go out and kill uh, a black-tailed deer or a white-tailed deer or maybe a huge moose, that they give thanks that in the death of that animal resides the package of their life and their sustenance. So many times they'll go up and they'll thank the animal because they know that through its death they receive life. So this has been the ideal of the Most High God. Jehovah has wanted to permeate this, photograph this in our minds through the ages, all since the beginning of time, that we would understand that by the time the schoolmaster and the failure of Sinai had been completely realized, it was really being an educational system under the, the tremendous weight of condemnation and death that one had come to die in our place. And yet we find in the priesthood of Jesus that he never took pleasure in the blood of bulls and of goats and of rams. He had no pleasure in those things. He took pleasure in the lamb that he had become himself when he himself provided his person as the one who would die for us. And that would represent us on the cross and substitute the legal death that every one of us should have died for our sins in transgression. So now we see God doesn't love us because we're good, but despite our wickedness and our failures and our sins and our iniquities, He loves us out of sin. He draws us out of our sins. And as I've been discussing with uh, uh, Reverend and Sister uh, Deanna Lynn Wilson, of uh, Dallas, North Carolina in her anointing that we have to do a better job in our Sunday school classes and stop just highlighting all these patriarchs of old as if God didn't have to deal with them in their sinfulness. It was by grace that God saved Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
Joseph and the patriarchs. It was by grace when you picked your champion out. Only by grace can God continue to love every one of us despite our iniquities and our guile and our transgression. And we should get an amen for that because I'm not reaping what I sowed. I am by grace reaping what Jesus sowed on the cross. So now he comes and he provides a covering because it will say uh, by chapter 10, and if you have your Bibles tonight, go ahead and turn to chapter 8. That's where we're going to dive in. And I want to touch on a few things because Revelation 1.6 said, Blessed be uh, our Lord Jesus Christ who has loosed us. We were tied, connected to our sinfulness, and yet He came and delivered us, set us free while we were His enemies. God didn't come to you because you were good or great. Uh, you know, He came to you in despite our wickedness. And God loves overcomingly through the transgressions and shows mercifully uh, no remembrance to our offenses. But in chapter 10, as I jump ahead of myself, this is, I just feel like this fits in because of where I took off in my talking. Uh, chapter 10, verse 1 says it like this. And of course we're here to learn, so is it okay if we read the Bible? If we read what it says? that's what we learn from that's what I learn from forty five going on forty six years later yes I'm still reading the Bible still reading it over and over and over and over again getting more and more meaning as I grow and mature I see that there are many things that I didn't get the first time I read it so Hebrews 10 1 for the law having a shadow of things to come. And not the very image of those things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So I want you to understand your perfection is what God has in mind when He saves us by grace. Not just being good enough to go to heaven, but your perfection. Not just a 30-fold Christian not what you settle for. God wants all of you. The Bible said He has a, a, a very strong desire through the book of James that God envies for a full return of His investment that He bought you with. Uh, so, as we read on, can never with those sacrifices which they offered the tribe of Levi and their function on the earth year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For, for then would they have not have ceased to be offered. Jesus became the once and for all sacrifice. Once in the end of the world, He sacrificed by the death of Himself on Calvary, and He will not die again. That one death covered it all. But these are made by animals, because those worshipers... Once purged, that's me, once purged, washed by the blood, that's me. And you should send your flag up right there and say, me too. I was also purged by the shedding of His blood, the intentional shedding of Him spilling His blood out that I can be saved. 
should have no more consciousness of sin. And yet people saved by grace struggle greatly in the consciousness of sin instead of letting love just continue to draw them away. But in those sacrifices of Levi, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. And once a year is too often to remember that you are a sinner or that you live under the penalty of sin or you have accumulated and racked up a tally of sin just once a year is too many times and it will corrupt your mind. We don't need that. We've been set free by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be His mercy. For it is not possible, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. And if you'll read the Gospels, Jesus spent zero time going into what was the edifice, the temple of Herod, that great boondoggle where he was making as much or more money off the building of that temple trying to appease the Jews as the service of the temple was really dedicated just for the forgiveness of sins that that tremendous cost Jesus spent zero time inspecting animals. As the great high priest Melchizedek, isn't it amazing that nowhere in the scriptures, nowhere in the gospels is it recorded that Jesus went up and inspected a bullock, a lamb, a goat, turtle doves. He inspected none of the Levitical priesthood offering. The seven animals that were said to be sanctified in the days of Noah. I feel a little bit of the Holy Ghost there. Please, please bear with me. He, he may pop out every now and then. I, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, well, we'll just go on. Anyway, the Holy Ghost kind of likes that idea. Seven animals uh, that he uses to make clean and new. And Jesus never spent any time inspecting the animals and doing the work of Levi because he knew that he was the master of the school. He didn't need that schooling. The people did. And that administration of death and that schoolmaster should have brought us, that kindergarten teaching should have prepared us for first grade. And that's what it was. But yet they still missed the time of their Messiah. Uh, he was not received of his own. And he said, had you known the time of your visitation, you could know what belongs to you. But now is it hid far from your eyes and this generation shall not pass. And the abomination of desolation was ratified under the crushing move of Rome, who through uh, Titus and the new Caesar, Vespasian, came in 70 A.D. as Jesus warned that generation not passing in Matthew 23 and crushed uh, what was left of Jerusalem. But now there's a new church, and we're going to get to that. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body. A body that would fulfill the law, and how much? Well, you know, life for life, skin for skin. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. He gave his life for our life. 
be fulfilled and completely satisfied forever the demands and the judgment of the law. He is my propitiation. He is my justification. He is my wisdom, my righteousness, and my redemption. As it is written, he that glorieth, well, let him glory in the Lord. All this has been done for me through the wonderful priesthood and sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin hast had no pleasure. God said, I was waiting until the real payment could come. All these inferior animals of lesser kingdoms were just covering until the real propitiation and the real payment of sin could come in person. God manifest in the flesh. The Word made living and breathing the fullness of the Godhead standing in bodily form. To meet Jesus was to meet the Father. To be touched by Jesus was to be touched by the Holy Ghost. And He lived His Sonship to the Lordship of glorifying God His Father. Now follow that. Jesus Christ is Lord, which glorifies God as Father. Now for those of you who are scared to death of identity theft, nobody got left out. Everybody's included. I hope you feel better now. So uh, get, your, get your underwear out of a twist, relax, and receive. Because Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are clearly being represented by this one named Jesus. And he said, if I go away, I'll come again. And he did. He came in the form of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost in the upper room and about 120. What started out with a number over 500 had dwindled down to about 120. And they received the seal of the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Don't you like that? Yes, I do. Praise God. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, look at the word. This is the word. For, for, forgive me for my fits of emphysema. Otherwise I run out of air. Emphysema, man. But anyway, then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Now the hypostatic union of being fully man and fully God was on display on the cross when that body did indeed die and deliver us from the unlawful marriage that we had with the law in Moses. Not only did Jesus die to get us out of that horrible covenant, but he also rose from the dead so we could be married again. Look at your neighbor and say, it's okay to be married again. Now I'm married to the one who rose from the dead. I've been married again, blessed be the Lord. Married again and following Jesus, my Christ. Blessed be the Lord. Uh, to do thy will, O God, above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither had any pleasure then, which are offered by the law. And Jesus went to the cross by faith. Because there was no law demanding him to become a curse when he had not sinned. 
you must understand it was an act of faith. Now, if he was a sinful man, he couldn't but helped. There were penalties. There were deaths that had to be paid because of sin. But he was tempted in all points like as we are. And that's why when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, he was asking if there was a possibility that this cup of drinking death, the poison and the corruption, the sin and the transgression, and the guile of all humanity, God, what was in that cup? And yet he said, if there's a way I don't have to drink it, let this cup pass from me. But he said, nevertheless, not what I will. So in a tremendous act of faith, our Lord our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ accepted the will of God for his life and he drank death. He took the cup and he by faith offered himself unto the Father's will. And God, the Spirit, was completely satisfied with the death of His body. How satisfied was Father God? Well, He did not suffer His Holy One to see corruption. Neither did He leave Him in the ground or in the tomb. Because on the third day, the Father's Holy Spirit raised back up the body of Jesus. And when He came forth, the only thing that was left were the scars in His hand and in His feet and the pierce in his side. All the former abuse of mankind was gone, insomuch that Mary Magdalena did not even know who she was talking to when she saw him in the garden. And yet he said, Touch me not. I know you don't know who I am at this point, but as soon as he said Mary, she knew the shepherd's and the master's voice. The father was so pleased with what the body had achieved and accomplished. What Jesus had done through a new nature and the power of the Holy Ghost that God raised that body back up because He was God manifest in the flesh. He was Emmanuel, get scared again, God with us. That's how He could do it. Blessed be the Lord. So, then said He, Lo, I come to do thy will, verse 9, 10, 9. He taketh away the first covenant. He finally has got us completely and entirely divorced from Moses because the person that we were married to died, freeing us to be married again. But not just died, rose again. Blessed be the Lord because His motive and His establishment is life. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. And then 10.10, one of my favorite scriptures. I've got a bunch. People say, what's your favorite scripture? And I said, well, a lot. By the which will, by the which will, by the will of God, which we are sanctified. That's how we'd say it now. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once all. One time covered it all. Blessed be the Lord. Praise God. And we could go on reading right there, but if you would back up now into chapter 8 and we want to talk about how Jesus causing the first covenant to vanish away as he did on Mount Transfiguration when Elijah, the demonstration of the Spirit and power 
was appeared with Moses, the giver of the law, and the substitute covenant that God did not really want to convene with his nation with. And they both vanished. They only appeared so that they would vanish because the covenant that had been represented, that schoolmaster, which was to bring us to the understanding of Jesus Christ, he caused it to vanish because it is antiquated, it is old, and it does not serve the purpose of God. And you cannot be made perfect or whole by it. It can tell you what to do, but it gives you no nature and no power to live what God has asked for you. You see, it's by faith we establish the law. We recognize that it's holy, just, and good, but it doesn't give me a new birth. It doesn't give me the Holy Ghost. It doesn't give me a new nature. It doesn't have an ongoing love that no matter how many times I fall, my Jesus is right there, never leaving me, never forsaking me, helping me get back up every time. So I'm not worried about when people fall. I am very much motivated helping them get back up. And you've got to decide where you are in the kingdom of God. If you're so holy, you can wipe your feet on somebody when they're down. I'm not like that. See, I'm a forgiven man. And in my spirituality, I've got to tell you, Jesus didn't come and wipe his feet on me. He came and picked me up. He helped me up. So I'm going to be on the side of helping you get up. And I'm going to let love draw out you in all these other situations. Love will lead you to live the life that you are supposed to live, that God is asking of you, you the individual. Because you may have a temptation, doesn't bother me at all. As a matter of fact, I don't even know how you're tempted by that. And I can take on this self-arrogant attitude of saying, Lord, let me not, as others will, walk by somebody's calvary, and to me, it's just a hill. Now, what could cause them to lose their eternal life? I might be able to hop, skip, and jump right through and never think of it twice. But then, I could have a battle that they also don't relate to. And yet, that is the uniqueness of the author and the finisher of our salvation. There are certain things and strongholds in you that are triggered. Uh, I, I triggered. I know I'm going to get to pray soon. And to help people with their trigger points. They're facing a move. No names being used, but they're facing a move and anxiety attacks are happening. Why? Because as a child, this person had to move time and time again. Felt unsafe, insecure. And now on the advent of moving again, anxiety steps in because it is a trigger point to the childhood. But I want you to know that our Lord Jesus Christ can go and take that stronghold and turn it into a dwelling place of hope and safety and light and wash away the damage, the hurt, where you no longer fall to anxiety anymore. And that's just a little sermon on the side because I love you. All right then, let's go to Hebrews 8. And now let's look at verse 1. Now the sum, this is a closing argument for an attorney, an advocate.
Now the sum, let's put everything together from chapters 1 through 7. We're gluing it all together now. Now the sum of things which we have spoken, we have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of God, of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. The majesty of God. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, which was a body and a temple and not man. When you begin to understand that, that Moses went by the pattern that was showed to him in the mountain, which was a physical structure of a man. If you turn the tabernacle up on its end, it looks like a man. And this is the tabernacle that God made. My body is the image, likeness, and dominion. God made this tabernacle. God made this temple. And He called it to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You were made and designed to be a carrier of God. Isn't that amazing? You were designed to be born again. You were designed to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You were designed to be led of the Spirit. You were designed to be sons of God, whether you be male or female. Well, amen, Pastor. So, for every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man would have somewhat also to offer. And he had everything to offer. They were only setting up the teaching of the true offering of God. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest. He's not accomplishing earthly things down here as in the tabernacle. He doesn't need to kill animals. He doesn't need to go by that law. That was something that was thrust on God by the people that he decided to save and he by love let them have their way. That is the parentheses of the grace of God that halted from Genesis chapter 12 all the way to Exodus 19. The grace of God got stopped dead in its tracks and the people said, no, we don't want God to deal with us. No, 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 no. No direct relationship with God. Let Moses be the go-between. And what came out of that was the law of Moses, how the people said they would become good enough for God to love them. And of course they failed. They could not continue in everything that was written. You're not good enough on your own. Begin to live by grace and then maybe when somebody else's fall, you'll give them a little grace. And you won't wipe your old dirty shoes on them. I'm nothing but a trash bag that God picked up and cleaned out. I am nothing without God. I am. There is no good thing in me that dwelleth in me. There's none good but one, and that is God. And through Jesus Christ, God became my Father. That's what's good about me through the grace of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. God's wonderful idea of Kevin became... Uh, vindicated and verified and illuminated when I was born again. Amen. Uh, that he should not, if he were on the earth, should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. He's not following after Levi. He springs in his flesh from the tribe of Judah, of which nothing is said of priesthood. And even as he springs messianically 
out of the tribe of Judah, he has a higher calling than that. He's called after the order of Melchizedek, someone without beginning of days nor end of life, eternal like the Father. The Father's spirit now materialized in a son, and he chooses a virgin womb to come through, a, a woman that had never been with man while she was espoused to a good man called Joseph. And there she comes up, and she winds up pregnant. Now, now, <laughs> yeah, boy, mm, going to have some talks tonight. How, now, run that by me one more time again. What, who, who were you, how did you get impregnated? Oh, an angel came. Yeah, well, if he looks like the mailman or the milkman, I'm going to break his head open. Uh, but fortunately, he didn't. Fortunately, he believed God even though he was very much troubled and because he was a just man and he still loved her. That's what was just about him. He still loved her anyway. And he wanted to marry her. He did not put her away. He did not take her life. Even though he could have moved on that, according to the law, he forgave. That's the truth of the matter. People who follow the, the, the word down to the very letter, had he followed the letter of the law, he could have had her stoned to death as someone that was impure and had committed adultery or fornicated and, and defiled the espousing vows of marriage. But he didn't. He forgave her. There's something better than the law called forgiveness. Praise God. Another message, another story. Nevertheless, who serve, verse 5, they're a priest according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, comprehend, see this, know it, understand it, saith he, that thou make all things according to the patterns showed to thee in the mount. Now they weren't the real, they were just the outlines of the real that was coming. That was establishing the schoolmaster that should have led them directly to the Lamb of God, the Son of God, Christ Jesus our Lord. But now hath He, Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry. Now I want you to lay your hand on your heart and say, I have a more excellent ministry. There is a forgiving Jesus that lives in me. There is a merciful Jesus that lives in me. There is a loving Jesus drawing me to the Father. And I know because it happened to me. You see, I've examined myself and I can tell you that Jesus Christ dwells in my heart by faith. My advocate lives on board. You have the one who saved you inside of you, leading you, guiding you, and governing, helping you give account in real time while you're living right now of the things you do in your body, whether they be good, whether they be bad. If you do something bad, the one who lives inside of you will say, Woo, hey, we need to have a checkup from the neck up. Come over here, we need to talk. I've got a little bit of conviction for you, and you're not going to feel good about the choice or the decision that you just made. And God may well indeed want you to provide a restitution or make an amends for whoever you offended. And that happens in real time. Not at the end time, as so many people again, wrongly teach, 
That happens right now here today. If you've been ugly to anybody today, God dealt with you in real time. Can you imagine from the beginning of time how long that line is going to be when we're standing there giving the accounts of the deeds done in the body all the way back when we were kids. You mean God's going to bring up that matchbox car that I stole from my friend because I didn't have one? Yeah, Kevin, you're going to have to give an account. Oh my, a matchbox car. Back when we were playing on dirt roads and, and back when we had nothing but shorts and we went in uh, just dirty and filthy from being out in the sun all day. We're gonna, he's going to go all the way back there? Woo! My goodness! That's going to take a while. Talk about needing a Snickers bar. Good God! No. God forgives and then you give an account in real time while you live, while you walk on the face of the earth. And you can send me an email at kkello61 at gmail.com and ask me, where in the world do I get that doctrine from? And I'll show it to you in the Bible. Uh, I'll, help, I'll help rightly divide those things that I've seen. Now, I can help you with what I have seen. Everything else, we're going to leave to prayer. But anyway, <laughs> these are a pattern. See, saith he, for thou make all things according to the pattern, not the real, but the patterns, showed to thee in the mount of Sinai. But now hath he obtained Jesus a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of the real intentions of God. And again, we've preached this so much, two faults. The people could not continue in what was commanded them, and God could not be merciful and show grace and pick them up after they fail. So Jesus not only saved us, but He saved the reputation of His Father that had gotten tarnished through this harsh, legalistic law of hating and killing. People forgot to forgive one another. I mean, if you were a good follower and someone accidentally cut your finger off, if you wanted to be right, you had to go by the letter of the law you had to cut their finger off. And I would be one of those people standing there saying, uh, excuse me, can I, can I ask a question before you chop my friend's finger off? I didn't mean to chop his off. And uh, can I just forgive him and he keep all his fingers? Is that okay with you? No! No, Moses said he's got to give us eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Whack his finger off and you'll be a good servant of God. That's insane! How about forgiveness? Can we, do, can we go with that one? Forgiveness? Yeah, forgiveness. Uh, he accidentally popped my eye out. I, I don't want to pop his eye out. He needs to see. He needs to be able to see what he's doing. Uh, you know, I one eye it from now on, but he didn't mean to knock my eye out, and I don't want his eye knocked out. Can we cover that with forgiveness, please? Can you imagine being tied to a law and a religion that demanded by the letter of the law? See, the letter killeth. The letter killeth. The Spirit of God and the grace of God gives an allowance for forgiveness despite our mistakes, our flaws, our, our sinfulness, our wickedness, our darkness. Despite all that, God loves us anyway. And that we begin to love each other. I don't want your head chopped off. I'd like for it to stay on your shoulders. Praise God. I don't want to knock your teeth out. And please don't be careful, more careful. You only knock the back ones out so nobody can see. So please be more careful. Amen. So watch this. 
I, I wish you, I, I hope everybody out there is smiling right now and say, hey, let's go with forgiveness. What an idea. Wow, what a concept. Yeah, I like it. Forgiveness. Uh, by much also, he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus ascended up for us to make intercession for us to deal with the spiritual reality of how we're living our lives. Now, many times we turn God into many things, and I'm not always certain, and, and, and you can send me the letters, that God is just wanting to... Uh, uh, be involved with you getting a new set of radials for your car. I, I don't, I don't know if that's the premier thing that he died for. But whether you forgive a person or not, I think he'd be interested in that prayer. Whether you go and pray for healing, but whether or not you get pinstripes on your sport car, I don't think he has a lot to say about that. And I really don't think y'all are going to go over that. Uh, at least I certainly hope not. And, and, and uh, our speed limits on the, uh, on the interstate. I just don't think God cares about stuff like that. I really don't. I, I think that, you know, that's, that's mankind and there are laws down here and that you'll deal with that if you get caught. Uh, but I don't think God is going to talk to me about what speed limit I drove at. I really don't. Uh, he, he, he identified Jehu and, and he drove madly in his chariot and the Bible didn't say God shot him down or or blew out of his chariot wheel or nothing. <laughs> but people get in all these crazy ideas. I believe God is dealing with us about our spiritual life, about how we love each other, how we care for each other, how we hold each other up, what we do when a man's overtaken in a fall, put him down or lift him up. Now, I think God's very much so involved with that. But all these little earthly mundane things that we wrap God around the axle of, and then we uh, swallow the gnat. We get all upset. I'm, no, I'm sorry. We swallow a camel. Some of you swallow an elephant. And then you gag at a gnat. Something really pretty easy. Um, have you ever seen somebody try to gag a gnat? Every little gnat. Arr, arr, how dare you ask me to gag? That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Gagging at a gnat. <coughs> and then swallowing a camel. Come on. Jesus used a tad bit of sarcasm there. I also speak in that language, by the way. It's one of the many languages that I'm proficient in. Uh, uh, sarcasm, yes. A little bit of French, some Spanish, even smaller. French more, uh, sarcasm, and South Gastonia lingo. I also know that language. But anyway, uh, a more excellent ministry. Now, if you'll back up some more, let's go all the way back. And let's look at chapter 5. Chapter 5. What Jesus, a more excellent ministry, not as Aaron was nominated and accepted by God. God did call Aaron, but he was trying to satisfy the excuse of his younger brother Moses, who kept saying, I don't speak good. I'm not a good talker. He said, well, you haven't seen your older brother Aaron in 40 years on the backside of this desert. Does he not speak well? I tell you what, 
you'll be a god, I'll make him a prophet. You put the words in his mouth and he can speak to Pharaoh while you stand there as a god on the face of the earth. Just like Joseph did for his other 11 brothers. Am I now in the place of God? And the answer was, yes, he was. He was a picture, type, and shadow of him that was to come. So it said in Hebrews 5.1, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men. You're here to serve your brother. And our job is not to send them to hell. Our job is to get them to go to, the, go to heaven with Jesus. I, I tell people who want condemnation and death and hate, I'm sorry, we don't, this terminal has no tickets to hell. We're not trying to help anybody get there. All of our flights go this way. <laughs> you can go to hell on your own. I'm not going to help you with that. I hope you don't do it. I hope you come out of it. And I hope you get rid of that prison you're living in and come to the free will choice of knowing that God can save you and give you faith, which gives you the choice of living righteously the rest of your life. Uh, he is ordained from men, for men, and things pertaining to God. And he's supposed to be able to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And so all you ministers that, that, that's got a hot calling and you just can't wait to be a minister, let me give you a little insight of what you're signing up for. Because uh, I wish somebody had read this to me because I, I probably would have shuddered to think, run that by me one more time, what did you say? Uh, I just accepted it somewhat blindly. And even as Jesus said, I told you not all these things at the beginning because you wouldn't be able to bear it. And once I saw this, I was like, when? Ugh. Man, that's true. Now, here's the minister of God who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. And I can, and I do. Sometimes it takes me to task. It takes me to my limits, but I can and I do. Amen. And God was compassionate on me when I was uh, still ignorant, and I'm still coming out of my ignorance. I don't know anything yet as I ought to know. I know more today than I've ever known before, but that can all be improved while I'm preaching right here, right now. God can open up even more to me while I'm, while I'm saying this. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity, surrounded by weakness. His own weakness and the weakness and infirmity and distresses and necessities of everyone else in his congregation and flock. Whoa! And by reason hereof, he ought as for the people, so also for himself. If you want to be a priest, so also for himself. To offer for sins. Sometimes we just have to go pray because we may find ourselves in sins, our congregation in sins, our people, our individuals, our couples, our families in sin. And I don't want them to be lost. I want them to find reconciliation. That's why he gave us the power of reconciliation, the word and ministry of reconciliation. So our wrongs can be redeemed. Amen. And no man takes this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. And remember that Aaron was called because he was a good orator. He was a good speaker. 
but yet he himself did not have the heart or the mercy, the depth or the compassion of his younger brother Moses. And when Aaron dies, his two remaining sons take over, and that is a choice made by man to offer according to the law. And remember, mostly what they do is to deal with death. They kill things all day, every day, seven days a week. They kill things. They kill things, they kill things, they kill things. Jesus died once and rose from the dead. So they have the job of killing. Now let's shift over into who we want to hear about. So Christ glorified not himself, as so many preachers do. Glorified not himself. Another writer would say he sought no place of reputation. Jesus never tried to be bigger and better and competitive with anyone. His ego remained low. He did not go around egotistically and become competitive in preaching and ministering. He never tried to outdo anyone in, of the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin. Uh, none of those. He simply told people what he understood and what he knew. So Christ also glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, The Father said, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Today, as he came out of the water after he was baptized by his cousin John, John Baptist, uh, the heavens opened up and said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the image, the likeness, the dominion. This is the body made without men's hands. I dwell in it and it dwells in me and I am well pleased of what took place today. And we find that when Jesus was baptized to set the pattern, baptized in water, so don't let anybody talk you out of being baptized in water. If Jesus did it, you're not better than Him. Don't let any fruitcake uh, uh, with His bran flakes mislead you from the Bible. You should be baptized in water, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord, and it can happen as it did to Jesus, you be baptized coming out of the water in a form of resurrection. Amen. But that's another sermon another day. Also, praise God. <laughs> he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, in another place, in another place. Hmm. Hmm. Jesus identified this as well. Jesus also identified in, uh, in, the, in I believe it's, uh, let's see if I can look at my old notes here. Jesus also identified this uh, in Luke, uh, Luke 12, 50. Luke 12, 50, let's go there. This may be another revelation, because with me there's more than one. Uh, but have mercy on me if we're not exactly where I think we are. Well, Jesus said, how am I straightened out? I'm still in a wrinkle 
uh, I have a baptism to be baptized with. How am I straightened till it be accomplished? So instead of sending peace on the earth, um, he had uh, come and he set a house at variance against itself. So go further back into the book of Luke. there was a young attorney that came and asked Jesus, which is the great commandment? And Jesus said, well, you, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy strength, with all thy might, and all thy power. And then to love your neighbor as you love yourself. He told the young man, who was probably Saul of Tarsus, that he was not far from the kingdom. So give yours truly a moment to find that and go up to the book of Matthew as you do. Let's return to that Jewish flavor. Because Jesus is going to identify when the Bible vindicates him being called after the order of Melchizedek. Praise God. I hope you're thumbing through your Bible. We're looking for the place where Jesus answered three questions, and after three questions, he asked the fourth, and no man darest answer him. So if anyone wants to throw Pastor Kello a bone, I'll take it. Uh, hint, hint. But Jesus said, talking to them, if he was David's son... Why did David call him Lord? Which comes out of Psalm 110. <laughs> oh my. It's one of those times. Lord, I'm going to fully embarrass me tonight. And on live stream, isn't that great? Boy, if we ever needed editing, we'd edit it right here. We'd cut the, we'd cut it and then restart. Maybe Jacob could hit a pause and then come back in. Who knows? Got to cut the tape. Okay, I figured. Okay, I'm out here on a limb, and I, I'm trying to survive. Oh, it's in the book of Matthew and Luke. 21, 41, 42. Thank you, Prophet Joel. How many knows we have a prophet here? Prophet Joel is here with us. Yes, thank God. Let's see. Yes, that's it. Thank you, Joel. Matthew 23, also um, Luke 20, 41. So here's the question. In Hebrews it said, For thou hast said, somewhere back in the Bible, in, 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 in chapter 5, Thou art priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Please write down Matthew 23, uh, 41 through 46, and also Luke 20, 41 
and Psalm 110. Of course, I'm trying to include this in because I didn't exactly have it prepared just like I wanted to, but nevertheless, Jesus has answered three questions that they could not come back at him with. And then, verse 41 of Matthew 23, when the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What think ye of Christ, the Messiah, whose son is he? They say unto him, rather quickly, Well, the son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit, David in spirit, not in the flesh, in spirit, call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Psalm 110.1 If David then called him Lord, which means the Lord made David, and David did not make the Lord, how is he his son? No man was able to answer him, a word, neither darest any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Because in one question, one fell stroke, one fell stroke, he had proved that he was Almighty God, and they also got mad at him when they said that Abraham had rejoiced to see his day, and because he saw it, he was alive. So, let's go to Psalm 110. which like the Psalms of the Jews are, is a didactic and has a teaching education for us that in the middle is the main point. The main point of Psalm 110 is found in the middle verse. So let me say that everything builds up to the middle verse and from the other side, it comes from that peak. And the middle peak of Psalm 110, verse 7, is verse 4, the middle, three on each side. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever as identified in Genesis 14 and 18. After the order of Melchizedek, which makes him God in the flesh, the priest of the Most High God that did visit Abraham, who was Jesus Christ, who is identified in Genesis, and who was prophesied by David, that he is the Lord. So let's read that first scripture, Psalm 110. Uh, Yahweh said unto my Jehovah, Sit thou at my right hand, or Yahweh said to my Adonai. Now get a hold of this, folk. When he says this, that's saying that, that God, the Spirit, said to my Lord, or the Lord said to God, and the Lord our God is one Lord. Not two, not three, one. So, again, in Mark 12, 36, it also says here, Yahweh, the Lord, said unto my Jehovah, Sit thou on my right hand until I make all of thine enemies thy footstool. The same type of revelation takes place in Daniel when he's called the Ancient of Days and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus 
accomplishes the will of the Father. He was completely God in spirit and completely man in the flesh. So verse 2, let's go on. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou, this is Jesus, in the midst of thine enemies, being given the power of God. And thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. He remains as fresh, new, and alive as the morning dew that burns off by the middle of the day. But Jesus maintains his qualitative, fresh, original state. And then verse 4, The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest. The calling of the word being made flesh. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Which means as my priest you'll take the entire world and you'll present them to me in forgiveness through the death of your body. Amen. And then verse 5. The Lord at thy right hand shall... This is what he's doing for us now as he's ascended on high. Shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen, which he did me. He shall fill the places with dead bodies and shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the book, brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. And in the lifting of the head is the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53 verse 12. So I hope you can say amen to all that. That may be a little bit of deep waters for you, but that's where it comes from. That is where it originates from. Now let's go to Luke 20. Let's see if we can if I can finally jump in on that right. I think for some reason I like the Lukean version. He's the Gentile of the bunch. Matthew being the Jew of the bunch, but the Lukean version. Correct Amundo. Luke twenty. <laughs> oh, praise. Well, how many feel like it's more of God when you help me discover it? We'll discover it together. <laughs> That's why I need you to be here at Bible study. I, I, I need the prophet Joel to sharpen my sword every now and then. Luke twenty thirty nine. Then certain of the scribes answering said, Master, you've answered all of our questions. You've well said. After that, they dared not ask him any question at all. He said, okay, y'all went three times, now it's my turn. Now had they looked this up, it would have been undeniable of who he is stating very clearly who he is. And they're still not going to look it up and they're not going to research it because they don't want to believe it. He said unto them, how say they that Christ is David's son? And David himself saith in the book of Psalms, My Yahweh said unto my Adonai, or my Jehovah, however you want to do it, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore called him Lord. And did David make the Lord, or did the Lord make David? Which way is it? Well, they ultimately make each other, but we all came from God. 
Then in the audience of all the people, he said unto his disciples, because they couldn't answer the question as we read to you in Matthew, Beware of the scribes which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the high seats in the synagogues and the chief rooms at feasts which devour widows' houses and for a show make long prayers. Uh, the same shall receive greater condemnation. So if you would, go back to Hebrews 5. We're going to try to round the horses up and bring them in before it's dark. Thou art a priest forever, Hebrews 5, 6, out of Psalm 110, as it was spoken that the priest of the Most High God in Genesis 14, 18, came and visited Abram, and it was the person of Christ. Everybody okay with that? Can we all say amen to the Bible at least? Well, amen. Now look at this. After the days and the order of Melchizedek, this is where his ministry comes from, from the Spirit of God, from the Word of God. This man that had so much prominence, uh, this Melchizedek, uh, and it is said, who in the days of his flesh, God becoming flesh, the Word becoming flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto God that was able to save his body from death and was heard uh, in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect, that perfected him because now by faith he's going to taste death for every man. He tasted it for you and I. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now, I do have this right. If you go on to read Luke 22, 39 through 45, this is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and his sweat being under such stress and strain, bursting beneath his skin, the capillaries, and his sweat began to carry blood out from the pigment of his skin and he was stained with blood because of the earnest prayer agonizing in prayers what Luke said and angels came and strengthened him because he was about to swallow a horrible cup and now the writer of Hebrews also identifies him as God struggling in the flesh needing to be made perfect and he was made perfect but again, he endured the cross and despised the shame. If you think that he enjoyed this, no, the Bible said in Hebrews 12, he endured the cross and despised the shame of being made sin for all humanity. But he rose the third day as a priest that represented all of us as a substitution by resurrection. When you're born again, resurrection work begins in you. When you're led of the Spirit, resurrection work is working in you. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you are reserved to the rising and the return of our Lord Jesus Christ when He comes back with ten thousands and thousands of His saints who are now soul, spirit, and we will reclaim our bodies in the grave. We'll rise first, and those of you who are alive and remain shall be changed in the moment 
of a twinkling of an eye. Blessed be the Lord. Verse 10, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we struggle to let people know what earthly things, but they're no longer earthly. The heavenly idea is that you be born again. The heavenly spirit is the spirit of God. Nicodemus struggled to comprehend the new birth. He struggled to know the things of heaven. And Jesus said while he was here on the earth, if you can't follow the pattern to be born again, you'll never see or comprehend the heavenly things. If the, he if the earthly revelations are not visited in you, which is the new birth and the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you'll never understand the heavenly. So if you would, put your streamer in there, because we're coming back, uh, and go to John chapter 3. Joe will, Joe will give me a tag. He's holding up Bible cards to see if I got this wrong or not. He's going to flash me with the card. Blessed be the Lord. Thank you, Joe, for being here, saving my neck. I don't have a big neck to walk on anyway. It's kind of short. He's my thick neck brother from South Gastonia. Now, John 3, now look at this. He says, and this is where we're going to run to. We're going to run to this. Uh, verse 11 and 12 of the same chapter. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that that we do know and testify that that we have seen. And you receive not our witness. Nicodemus is not born again at this point. If I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Blessed be the Lord. So now look at what he's saying. If you can't comprehend what God does here on the earth to give you a new birth, as we consider the apostle and the high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus the Lord, if you cannot receive the new birth and being changed here on the earth and the Holy Ghost that He wants you to have, how can you understand heavenly or more spiritual ideas when they are spiritually discerned? We have a high priest now for us entered into the heavens that we can pray to. I've got someone who knows me. He visited me. He called me by name and he loves it when I call him by name. We have a relationship and when the Holy Ghost comes upon me, I'm not speaking to men even though it's a sign for unbelievers. I'm speaking directly to God because he spiritually is watching over what's best for my life and loving me into a leadership of being filled with the Spirit, led of the Spirit, and life in the Spirit. That is the earthly work that He accomplished, and now He's risen into the heavenly. And we get to do the same works also, and we will graduate into greater works as He did. But first, we've got to take care of the earthly revelation that He gave us to be a witness and a light to right here, right now. So, back to John 3, it said, 
there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler, one of the twelve of the high priest of the Jews. This was one of the elders back when Jesus was 13, and he applied for his priestly bar mitzvah and passed. He went and his parents went to the feast and they were three days journey for they recognized Jesus wasn't there. Like a lot of people who get so far out in themselves, they realize they left Jesus back there somewhere. You better go back and get him uh, if you're going to go on and make it in life. Uh, I, I recommend that you become aware, wake up and go back and get Jesus. So there he was at the age of 13, not just a son of the law, but applying for a priest of the law. And when they find him, he's sitting in the midst of the elders and the rulers, 70 and 12, asking questions and answering questions because he was applying for his priestly bar mitzvah that he would use when being questioned by Caiaphas, the high priest, and he rent his clothes and according to Levi, immediately disqualified himself for being the high priest of that year. But that's okay, there's one that will step in his place. His name was Jesus. And right in he stepped to the cross, to the cross for the sacrifice for our sins. And simultaneously, the veil in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom to show the people that God had not and was not there for a long time. It was a dead religion. You might be in a dead church today. Dead dead as doornails. No spirit, no life, no new birth, no power, no anointing, no nothing. No real worship, no spirit, no truth. Get out of that dead church, man. Somebody needs to rip the veil in half and show you God hasn't been here for decades. You need to go find out where He is. And I can tell you where He is in me right here. He lives in my heart through a new birth. And then He sealed me with the promise of the Holy Ghost. And that's good preaching right there. You should smile and say amen. And then that same, that same Nicodemus who remembered Jesus at 13 comes to him not in the daytime where everybody can see him. He comes in the stealth of night because he's got a reputation to uphold. And the Pharisees in the Sanhedrin court would not take well to one of their top men going to talk to Jesus. But he goes by night and he says unto him, Look at this now. I'm coming here by night. I don't want anybody to know. But Rabbi, oh great teacher, you're a rabbi. I remember you. You're that 13-year-old kid that amazed us all way back when you applied for your priesthood in the bar mitzvah. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. God be with him and God be manifest. Jesus immediately says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you be born again, you cannot comprehend the kingdom that I'm representing while simultaneously operating under the law of Moses. Operating and functioning like that's a viable ministry that is vanishing away, that is antiquated and cannot make the comers thereunto clean or perfect. Nicodemus saith unto him, What an exchange. How can a man be born when he is old? Question. How can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Boy, I hope it don't work that way. Praise God. 
I know you ladies are definitely saying, please God, say it doesn't work that way. And it doesn't. Jesus answered again, and emphasis added, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit should lead you by the claim of God to water baptism. It should have a direct result of you feeling God saying, I purchased you, I saved you, I bought you, you're my son, now go fulfill the pattern that I laid out with my cousin John, and you go be baptized and bury that old man in a watery grave, but come up in the resurrection in the newness of life. Amen. And Or he cannot enter. So it's faith that has worked. Faith that is now giving the good answer of a conscience, uh, the, the answer of a good conscience towards God. You're now communing with God. God asked to think of you, and you're responding by saying, Yes, God, I will do that. That's how it happened with me. Before I figured all this out in the Bible, before I began to study to show myself approved unto God, I knew that God had bought me, purchased me, and saved me with His own blood. His own blood. And I felt God lay a claim on me. Tell me, now you're mine. I paid for you. I want you to go and be baptized. And I had to all but run my pastor down to finally get him to take the time to baptize me. I remember one time we are talking, I said, either you go get it done or I'm going to go find somebody else because I'm going to get baptized. That's how strong it was on me. I need to be baptized. It was the answer of a good conscience. Like you did, Alex, you felt something compelling you that you should be baptized. That is God laying His claim on you as a son or daughter of God. Amen. Now, if you don't have... A faith that works, a faith that by nature knows that obedience is better than sacrifice, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and flesh receives not the things that be of God, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. And then he says, for all you loose-leaf Christians, I've heard this my whole Christian life, this is the most misunderstood scriptures uh, that, that you can have. People say, well, I'm just born of the Spirit, and I'm like the wind, I blow here and I blow there. The only way those leaves blow, blow around, my friend, is they got detached from the branch, from the limbs, from the trunk, and the roots of the tree, which means... You're just floating around and you're dying while you're doing it. This is not a compliment. This is error because it doesn't teach us to be loose-leaf Christians. It calls us to be attached. You see, He is divine and we are the branches. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help that. That just makes me laugh. Uh, so we're attached to Him and He's attached to us, Miss Beth. I'm not cut off from Jesus. I'm not some old dried up uh, toasted leaf uh, that can be blown all over the place and up and down the street and in and out of ditches and here today and gone tomorrow. That's not spiritual. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. Same by being blown about by every wind and every creed and every doctrine of man. 
loose leaves are always blown around. Blown here, blown there, blown down there to, uh, what was it, Lake, L- L- Lakeland, Florida, what was it? The, uh, that whole debacle, uh, blowing here, blowing there, the laughing movement, the gold movement, the stupid movement. People from Stupider are getting together on an outer ring of Jupiter because they're from the planet Stupider. There's no such thing. It's ridiculous. Blown about, the Bible said, Paul did, of every wind and every doctrine and every creed. Not us. No, we're attached to the branch, attached to the limb, attached to the bough, attached to the trunk, attached to the roots because we're planted by God. Mm -hmm. Read John 15 and send me something angry in an email. Fight with me if you want to. Praise God. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whether it cometh or whether it goeth. And so is every one that is born of the Spirit. And they made that a statement when it should be a question. Because the winds that circled through the earth were identified in the book of Ecclesiastes by Solomon long before this came out. So you should know the cycles of the jet stream and the four seasons and the Gulf Stream that constantly provide our winter, our spring, our summer, and our fall, that there are certain wind systems that take place every single season, and therefore we know what the real wind of God is doing. But we're not blown about by doctrines and creeds because we're attached to Him, and thank God He's attached to us. Nicodemus pipes up again and answered and said unto him, How can these, how can these things be? <laughs> And Jesus said, hmm, sarcasm 101, here we go, ready? Okay, put on your seat belts and put up your tray tables. Jesus answered and said unto Nicodemus, Are you a master of Israel? You actually teach other people and know us not these things? And know us not these things that I'm saying to you? And you call yourself a teacher? Hmm, hmm. Verily I say unto thee, We speak that that we do know and testify that that we have seen and you receive not our witness. If I've told you the earthly revelations that are taking place right here now, and you don't follow them, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So again, understand Jesus said, Nicodemus, he will be saved later when he helps Joseph of Arimathea take down the dead body of Christ from the cross which was an exception made by Pilate during the time of Rome, and he and Joseph of Arimathea, one of the seventy, and Nicodemus, one of the twelve, ruined their reputation to finally get the blood of Jesus all over them and bury him in a borrowed tomb. The two mighty men, noble men, he didn't say not any, he just said not many, two that literally ruined their position, privilege, and reputation in the earth at that time to get the blood of Jesus all over them. Blessed be the Lord. To God be the praise. To God be the praise that they had the faith to have His blood purchase them and buy them. That was not spilled. It was intentionally shed for you. Jesus didn't knock over a glass accidentally. He went by faith and offered Himself to God as a lamb without spot and without blemish. He was clean, pure, and holy. And at the end, when they had crucified him, 
Nicodemus will return and Joseph of Arimathea will give him his sepulcher and his tomb, and but Jesus only needs it for three days. That's why I told my wife, we're going to go to the funeral home, and when we do, I'm going to look for a borrowed coffin because I only need it for a little while. I want I want I want I want a borrowed tomb and a borrowed coffin. I said, I'm willing to rip, but I'm not staying there. I'm not going to be there from now. On. I'm going to bust that thing wide open. So I want renter's fees. I don't want to purchase anything. I'm only going to be there temporarily. And I'm not worried about getting in the grave because I already know how I'm getting out of it. You need to say amen right there. I'm going to ask, uh, like Joseph of Arimathea said, uh, he, he, he can have mine. And then he went, whoo, Jesus only needed it three days and three nights. Praise God, I got my tomb back. How many knows God, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow to go with it. He just wanted to see if Joseph would give him that barred tomb. And when he did, three days later, he gave it right back to him. He said, uh, I, I've got it all warmed up for you. <laughs> I gave it a test drive. It works. But I've risen from the dead, and I don't need any more. And that's what I'm going to do when I prearrange my funeral. I'm going to ask for a borrowed, I want a renter's coffin and a renter's tomb because I'm not going to stay there. Y'all need to say amen. That should put joy in your heart. I'm not going to stay in the grave. I'm going to get up and get out. Praise God. And, and when Jesus comes back, who, who knows? As it said in Matthew 27, 52, that when he rose from the dead, many of the saints also got up and showed themselves alive in the holy city. That's what Matthew said. Now, he's the only one that said that, so we're kind of out there. He's the only author that said that. But nevertheless, uh, other people got up when he got up because of the power of his resurrection. I want you to know I love you tonight. I feel joy. I'm glad to be here. I hope you're happy too. I, I hope that the Holy Ghost makes you smile. You, some of you need some medicine. Uh, you look like you took a baptism of prunes or lemons. But listen, God loves you. Let the love of God rule in your heart. And be nice to one another. Because all you are is forgiven by grace. That's what I am. And the grace just wasn't in vain. So blessed be the Lord. Amen and amen.